Well, let's thank the Lord for each other. You know, that scripture reading we had this morning, um, Jesus talks about disciples. All disciples are Christians, but all Christians aren't disciples. All Cokes are soft drinks, but all soft drinks aren't Cokes. In another scripture, Jesus says, Whoso does not hate father, mother, wife, children, son, daughter, brothers, sisters, cannot be my disciple. And then he says, Whosoever does not deny himself daily, say no to himself and yes to father, cannot be my disciple. And then he says, Whosoever does not forsake all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Now, the amazing thing isn't what he says. The amazing thing is what he doesn't say. He doesn't say we can't be Christians. He doesn't say we can't have a nice family. He doesn't say that we can't enjoy life. All he's saying is, you can't be like me. Because he says, my love for Father was so great that every other relationship in this world pales in comparison to how much I love my Father. And Jesus said, oh yes, every day I've said no to myself and yes to Father. In fact, my end is going to be very grim because I'm going to say no to myself and yes to Father and cast myself into hell without grace that you might have life. And then he says, yes, and I have forsaken everything. He gave up heaven and ultimately he gave himself. So discipleship is a, is a very special calling. I've been gone for uh, four Sundays and I'm really glad to be back and by his grace I'm only going to be gone two more Sundays between now and the end of this year. Uh, and I was going to ask you the question, um, do you still love Jesus? And I think the, question, the answer is yes, but if, if it's no, I've got good news for you. He still loves you. <laughs> and that's very good news. And for those who are visiting this morning for the first time, the theme for this church, for this body, is abide in me. And abide in me is the central message of the Bible. It starts off in Genesis where God created man to abide in him. Man chose not to abide in him and his word and his instructions. Then the rest of the Old Testament is the story of Israel, the nation of Israel, who God chose as a chosen people to abide in him. And it's a whole story of them going back and forth between abiding in him and not abiding in him. Then the New Testament, the good news of the New Testament, is that we're called not to abide in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ, that we might be born again. And then every page of the New Testament is a call to abide in me. And with this verse, abide in me, the next verse, which we're going to get a slide for one of these days, but I haven't requested it yet, comes a great promise. With the command, abide in me, comes a promise, and I will abide in you. And Rainier and his sweet family this morning, they played this song. That's what happens when he abides in us, is his life, which is the light of the world, shines through us into this very dark domain. And that's what each of us were called to become, is lights sitting on a hill like a city that can't be hid. And as we abide in him, he abides in us, and his life flows through us. Now this morning, what I wanted to share a little bit about is how, as we abide in him, we can have victory over sin. That's kind of neat. As we abide in him, we can have victory over sin. We need to do a little theological background 
And recall that all man, or man, Adam, was created in God's image, meaning he had his attributes. He could create, he could think, he could build, he could reason. But he also was created in God's likeness. He had the very personality, the very nature of God. But the day Adam sinned, he did not lose the image of God. He could still build, he could still create, he could still think, he could still reason. But he lost the likeness of God. He no longer had God's nature. And then as a result of that, we see in Genesis 3 that Adam had children after his own image and his own likeness. And thus all of us were born in the world in the image of Adam, which is still the image of God. But we were born in the likeness of Adam. So no one had to teach us how to be jealous or to be angry or to be impatient or to steal or to lie because we were born into this world fatally flawed with something called pride. And pride is wanting to be like God, not in righteousness, but in power and position and activity, not in the goodness of his personality, but in the greatness of his being. Pride wants to be worshipped. Okay, this is why when Nicodemus came to Jesus asking him basically how he could get into heaven, Jesus said, well, you know, Nicodemus... (laughs) you would have to be recreated. Because anybody who's born in this world in the likeness of Adam cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. He says, spirit gives birth to spirit, flesh gives birth to flesh. So, the first thing that happened when you and I asked Christ into our life is the Holy Spirit came in and put to death the nature of Adam in us. Romans 6, 6. The old man is crucified in Christ that the body of sin might be destroyed. You might say, Rick, you didn't do a very good job of killing the old man in me. But you know, you take a chicken, you cut its head off. The chicken is absolutely biologically dead the second the head comes off. But the body of the chicken still runs around. The life of the chicken is still manifest in the body, but the chicken is dead. So now we have a new term called flesh. The old man is dead, but the, the, the flesh of the old man is called flesh, and that which is rotten and dead only becomes worse. So the older you get, the older I get, the worse our flesh becomes. The second thing that happened the moment you and I as Christ into our hearts is that the Holy Spirit came in and remade us. He took away our heart of stone. He gave us a heart of flesh. He wrote his law upon our heart. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And it says that the new man is created in his likeness in righteousness, which is the sum of all that's good, and holiness, which is the absence of all that is evil. So we got the new 5-0 download. (laughs) We, We are perfectly recreated. When we die, we don't get any better than the new man is. The problem is the new man was created with no arms and no legs and no energy. He's like a toaster that's not plugged in. It just won't warm up. So the third thing that the Father did is he sent the Holy Spirit. And as you and I learn to abide in him, the Holy Spirit abides in us, and the Holy Spirit empowers the new man to do all the good he wants to do and refrain from doing all the bad he doesn't want to do. Okay, and we're going to talk about sin and not sinning and good and doing good. Okay, so now we turn to Romans chapter 7. And Paul starts off by saying, in my flesh, and what is the flesh? It's the body of the old man. 
He's, actually, he starts out by saying, in me, and then he corrects himself. He says, in me, and he says, no, in my flesh dwells no good thing. Now, when he says dwells no good thing, what does that mean? <laughs> that means nothing good dwells in our flesh. Now, some of us have really, what's called very ugly flesh. That's the kind of flesh I have. You see it, you go, whoa, you know, don't show me that again. My wife has beautiful flesh. She has people-pleasing flesh. And her flesh gets complimented all the time. And this is the worst kind because it's, it's very sociable. But it's flesh. And the bad thing about good flesh is when the good flesh does something good, it just wants to be seen for the good it does. There is nothing good in our flesh. It is fatally flawed. It is full of pride, self-sufficiency, wants to be independent of God. If it does do something good, it wants to be recognized for the good that it does. So we find Paul in Romans 7. He says, you know what? Every day, every day, I find myself doing the things that I do not want to do. And then he says, every day, every day I find myself not doing the things that I want to do. Does, does that ring a bell with anybody? Do you ever find yourself every day doing something that you don't want to do? Or do we find ourselves every day not doing the things that we want to do? Well, Paul said he did. Every day he says, I find myself doing the things I don't want to do and not doing the things I want to do. He says, the very good that I want to do, I don't do it. And the very evil I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Now he says, if I do that which I don't want to do, and don't do that which I want to do, he says it proves. It's like a mathematical equation. Proves. He says, not me, but it's sin that dwells in me. Paul makes a very important theological distinction here. He says, it's not me, the new created Paul. It's sin that dwells in my flesh. This is very important. It's not me, but sin that dwells in me. The proof, brothers and sisters, that we have been born again isn't that we don't sin. Because everybody I've ever met who's been born again continues to sin. Not as much, much less the longer he goes or she goes. But everyone continues to sin. But the proof that we've been born again is not that we don't sin. The proof that we've been born again is that we no longer can enjoy our sin because sin is now contrary to our newly created nature. It's like a cookie. It tastes good in the mouth, but it's sour in the stomach. We can continue to sin, but we no longer can enjoy it. Which makes for an, a very interesting conclusion that the most unhappy people in the world are not the sons of Adam. Because sons of Adam live every day according to their nature. The most unhappy people in the world are sons of the kingdom who continue to sin. Because they're living every day in that which is not according to their newly created nature. Okay, Paul now continues in Romans 7. He says, well, he says, I, I find this war going on inside of me. With my mind, I want to serve the law of God. With my flesh, 
I want to serve the law of sin. Now, catch what he said. With my mind, I want to serve the law. The law. He's, now he's bringing in, he's introducing something new, a law. With my mind, I want to serve the law of God. With my flesh, the law of sin. But where Paul is in this chapter is no matter how much he wants to serve the law of God with his mind, his flesh continues to, he continues to yield, or his, his flesh continues to overpower him. Paul, in his own strength, cannot overcome this law of sin and death. That's a law, law of sin and death. Okay, let me give you a, a physical example of this spiritual truth. The law of gravity. Maybe I can jump three feet. Maybe Mark can jump five feet. Maybe someone with a pole can jump 25, 26 feet. But no matter how well trained we are, no matter how strong we are, no man nor woman can out jump gravity. That law always defeats us. So what Paul is basically telling us here in Romans 7 is that no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we buffet ourselves or discipline ourselves or pray or whatever, we do not have the ability to overcome the law of sin and death any more than we have the ability to overcome the law of gravity. Now that sounds like that's not very good news, but he does have some good news coming. You and I cannot overcome the law of gravity. You and I cannot overcome the law of sin and death. But Paul tells us he's got a good, some good news in store for us in Romans 8. He starts off with Romans 8 saying, look, well, let me just tell you how he ends Romans 7. He says, who will deliver me from this, from this dilemma? You notice he uses the word deliver, and deliver means you've got no arms and no legs. You can't possibly move from here to there unless someone picks you up and delivers you. So what Paul's saying is, who will rescue me? Who will deliver me from this situation that I'm in where every day I find myself falling short, every day bound by this law of sin and death, unable to overcome this law of sin and death? He says, who will deliver me? And then he kind of answers his own question. He says, through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, we will be delivered. Romans 8.1, Paul says, I got some good news. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No one in Christ, no one abiding in Christ is condemned. (laughs) That's very good news. The reason we're not condemned is because his blood was shed for us and we chose to abide in his sacrifice, his broken body, his shed blood, and his righteousness. And there's no condemnation because God, when he looks at us, he just sees Jesus. Good news. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now he says, who do not abide in the flesh, but abide in the spirit. This word abiding again. Some translations say dwell, who are, but it's basically who do not abide in the flesh, but abide in the spirit. Now he introduces a new law. He says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free. This is the first time he's talked about being free from the law of sin and death. How did he get free from the law of sin and death? Was it his own ability? Was it his resolve? Was it his discipline? No. He says a new law. This law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from this law of sin and death. Okay, let's look at a physical 
example of this. The law of gravity we talked about, we cannot overcome the law of gravity. But if I go get in an airplane, all of a sudden there's a new law called the law of aerodynamics takes over and the law of aerodynamics sets me free from the law of sin and death. And I'm sitting in that airplane going, I'm not sitting in that airplane going, I'm overcoming gravity, I'm overcoming gravity. I'm overcoming gravity. I'm saying, when are they going to bring out the drinks? The food? Maybe I like to look through that duty free. I'm having fun in this airplane. Now, if I say this is easy and see a door over there and go over to the airplane door and open it and walk out, the second I walk out of that airplane, the law of gravity will take me down. But as long as I stay in the airplane, the law of aerodynamics completely sets me free from the law of gravity. And this is what Paul is telling us in the first two verses of Romans 8. He says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, he says, will set you free from the law of sin and death. So what we got to do, brothers and sisters, is we've got to get in the airplane. We've got to get in, the, we gotta get in Jesus. We've got to make our home. We've got to abide in Jesus. And when we do, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death. Now, let me share with you an advantage that actually each of us have over Jesus as he walked this earth as a man. When Jesus walked this earth as a man, he lived under the dominion of sin. Now, dominion means sin had the ability to dominate or at least tempt him 24-7. We're told that he was in every way tempted as we are, but without sin. He was in every way tempted as we were, but he never sinned once. Now, temptation by its very definition means that it has to be appealing. If I say, Deborah, go put your hand in boiling water, is that a temptation? No, because it's not appealing. If I say, Josh, go put your hand in a buzzsaw, is that a temptation? No, because that's not appealing. To be a temptation, it has to be appealing. So in the life of Christ, whether it was sexuality or power or position or wealth, It had to be appealing or it wouldn't be a temptation. But in Romans 6, we're told that he who is dead, he who has died, has been made free, freed from sin. We're told that the old man was crucified in Christ, that the dominion of sin might be destroyed, that we should no longer be servants of sin. So the very good news is, That is, Jesus, when he rose from the dead and walked this earth for 40 days, from the time of his resurrection to his ascension, he couldn't be tempted. Because you can't tempt a man who has died and come back. That didn't mean a tempting thought wouldn't come his way. But it was no longer appealing. Because once one has died, he has been freed from sin. And Romans 6 also tells us as we have been baptized, as we have been united with Christ in his death, we're also united with him in his resurrection, that we should walk in the newness of his life. So basically, as we abide in Christ, we abide in his resurrected life, and when we're abiding in him, we can't be tempted. That doesn't mean a tempting thought can't come our way, but it's not appealing. So the next time, brother and sisters, you find yourself being tempted, just know that you're not in the airplane. (laughs) You're on the tarmac. So how do you get in the airplane? We got no arms, we got no legs. We say, Lord Jesus, take me, pull me back, deliver me into the airplane. 
James talks about this. He says, yield yourself to God. In so doing, you will resist the devil and he will flee from you. Lucifer wants us to get up and try to fight the temptation in our own strength. But it's like trying to out-jump gravity. And if you do overcome the flesh, like if you give up eating Hershey bars, then you'll find out next week you start chewing bubble gum. You give up one dependency for another. That's what the flesh does. You know, we were all born addicts. But there's only one substance that's legitimate to abuse, and that's the bread of life. And the more you depend on it, the more it feeds you, the more it feeds you, the more you depend upon it, and it's just on and on and on and on and on. Okay, so as we learn to abide in Christ, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death, and we walk in freedom. First John says, he who abides in Christ does not sin. He goes on to say he can't sin because his seed abides in him. When we're in Jesus, temptations do not seem appealing. They are not tempting to us. When we are not in the airplane, when we are in the flesh, even bitter things are sweet. And as soon as we taste those sweet things, then they become very bitter to us. Okay, let's talk about the abiding. Then we'll talk about Father's Day. Jesus, his final, his third to the last prayer was for the church, for each of us. He says, Father, that they may be one. As I, Father, am in you, and you are in me, that they may be one in us. This is a picture of abiding. And then he says, the glory which you have given me, and that is your own self, the Holy Spirit, I have given them that they may be one. Now he says, I in them, you in me, Father, that they may be one. That the world may know that you've sent me and love them as you have loved me. So what Christ prayed for each of us is that he would dwell in us and, as the, and the Father dwells in him and you and I experience the same oneness that he had with the Father. And he ends that chapter by saying, and Father, I have declared unto them your name and will declare it that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I may be in them. I may be in them. He gets into John 15. He says, I am the true vine that brings Father's life into the world. Each one of you are my branch, a unique and very special part of me. Abide in me and I will live my life through you. Depart from me, and you'll wither. But as you abide in me, I will live in you, and my life, my love, my joy, my peace, my patience, my kindness, my goodness, my faithfulness, my self-control will flow through you. And he says, when this happens, you'll be just like me. When my life manifests in you, you'll be like me because Father's life manifests in me. And that, brothers and sisters, is what, why you and I have all been recreated is that he may dwell in us through the power of the Holy Spirit and his love and his joy and his peace and his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his meekness, his self-control will flow through us. Now, when I was gone, uh, James and Chris both brought messages about abiding. And the message is this. 
None of us need any lessons on abiding. We all abide. We abide every day. But to the extent we abide in anything other than Jesus, we do not abide in Jesus. So the lesson of abiding really talks about brokenness. Because we need and Father needs to break us from the things that we abide in that are not him. To the extent we abide in anything other than Jesus, we don't abide in him. Now I'm going to show you something. Every every reaction is a response. But every response is not a reaction. Okay? Every reaction is a response, but every response is not a reaction. All Cokes are soft drinks. All soft drinks aren't Cokes. Okay. This is a reaction. See that? You know, I can pray until I'm 100 years old, and this will never not happen. (laughs) The only way this cannot happen is if we take a knife and sever this muscle, this connection. And once that connection is severed, then that won't happen. And this is what happens in our life when we abide in anything other than Jesus. Because in this world, Jesus says, everything moves, everything breaks but me. And when we abide in something that moves and something that breaks, what happens? We react. We move. We break with it. I was in Dallas just a couple weeks ago and going into Snyder Plaza and I had this thought. This woman gets in her car and she puts it in reverse, doesn't even look back and just puts the pedal to the metal, metal to the pedal, pedal to the metal and bang. Hits the side of my car. Didn't really. This is a story. But if I'm in the spirit, if I'm abiding in Christ, I jump out of the car and I go over there and say, are you hurt? But if I'm in the flesh, I jump out of the car and I say, don't you ever look where you're going? The same incident has two different responses. One shows the life of Christ, his love, his joy, his concern. The other shows my frustration because this person has just done something or just hasn't done something that has threatened something that I'm securing myself in. Have you ever been in line? Have you ever been at McDonald's? And somebody breaks in front of you right after you've you know, been waiting there for... T- How do you feel? What's your first... What's your response? Do you want to just pick that person and twist their ear? <laughs> or do you say, well, this man's wife might be in the car and she's... They're on the way to the hospital to deliver a baby and he just wanted to pick up a sandwich for her so she could have something to eat on the way. The same event can cause... A reaction is an uncontrollable, life-preserving response. It's all about me. It's all about me. If we're not abiding in anything other than Jesus, no no matter what moves, no matter what breaks around us, we do not move and break with it. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he said, you know, I'm not going to talk to you much more. The prince of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. There's nothing he can move that's going to anyway move me. 
we're all like little cars. There's about 25 or 30 remote controls in different people's hands. And one pushes the button, you go this way, and push them this way, and the car flips over. We've got to grab all those remote controls, put them together, and put them in Father's hand, where only one person can push our button, and that's Father. Because to the extent we abide in anything other than him, we don't abide in him. If your health goes bad, if your children do poor in school, if you don't get the raise, if the house catches on fire, do we move and break with those things? Or are we able to respond? I used the example some weeks ago. You get this guy who lives in a $20 million house, has a Bentley, a Ferrari, a beautiful wife, well-trained kids, uh, I should say, very smart kids, well-groomed kids, a well-trained dog, and he's walking down the street whistling. Is anybody impressed that he has joy? No, the people say, well, if I had all that, I'd, I'd be peaceful and joyful too. But you see the same guy coming down the street with boils all over his body. He's pulling his wife in a red flyer wagon. His kids are dirty. He's got this mangy-looking, one of the small little animals with whiskers and... And he's singing and joyful. Somebody might go up to that person and ask him for the hope that lies within him. Because circumstantially, there's no reason for this man to have joy and peace. But brothers and sisters, this is what happens when we abide in Christ. Paul told us in in Philippians, he said, I've learned in all states to be content. How did he learn in all states to be content? Because he got broken. He got freed from all the stuff that he was drawing his life from other than Jesus. Paul was 27 years old probably when he came to Christ on the Damascus Road. The next day he was out preaching on the steps of the synagogue. James and Peter are hiding. (laughs) But Father puts Paul away for 17 years. He doesn't come on on the scene again until he's 44 years old, his first missionary journey. What happened those 17 years? Paul says, I learned to let go of all these things that I was drawing dependence, drawing life from, that I may know. It's it's that same word that Adam knew Eve, that I might be intimately abiding in relating to Christ. And then Paul is is an older man. He says, because the abundance of revelation given to me, he said, this thorn was put in my flesh to keep me humble. And Paul said, you know what, we don't know what his disability was, But he said, because of this disability, Father, I just don't think I can serve you. What did Father say? Paul, that's stinky thinking. Paul, did you forget? Only when you are disabled is my life enabled in you. God says, no, Paul, I'm not going to answer. Did you forget that only when you are disabled is my life enabled in you? Paul said, I forgot. So it's not like Philippians when Paul says, I've learned in all states to be content He says, I take pleasure. He says, I take pleasure in my infirmities and my sicknesses. I take pleasure in being reproached. I take pleasure in being without. I take pleasure in being persecuted. I take pleasure in distressful circumstances. For Christ's sake, because when I'm weak, when I'm disabled, the life of Christ is very strong in me. Christ was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. We are also weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God. Okay, you find yourself in sin, you're on the tarmac, what do we say? Jesus, take me, take me into the airplane, take me back to yourself. 
You've read, possibly heard of this guy, Brother Lawrence, practicing the presence. Every time he sinned, he just kind of had this little prayer. Now I did it again. You know I'll always do that unless you deliver me. This moment by moment, intimacy, all of us go through the week. We think all the time. We talk to ourselves all the time. What we need to start doing is bringing him into every conversation. Just go home today. Instead of talking to yourself, just bring him into the conversation. And then when the woman pulls out and hits your car, the first thing you do is you kind of start talking to the person you've been talking to, and he kind of frees us. Because as we practice his presence in our life, this is part of the abiding. And if we find that we're abiding in something that he points out, instead of focusing on letting go of that thing, we just need to focus on him and say, Father, I, we live confessionally. I do not want to be possessed. I do not want to be addicted. I do not want to be controlled by this thing. Would you please let me be addicted and controlled by you and your spirit? And he'll answer that prayer. You can pray till you're 100 years old that you'll stop having those reactions. He'll never answer the prayer. But he will answer the prayer to be delivered from those things that we react to when they're threatened. Okay, fathers. Um, you know, we have a, uh, an awesome responsibility because the glory of children are their fathers. And we are not, cannot be any better fathers than we can be, than we are sons. And if you just concentrate, and I just concentrate on being a father, and we're not abiding in him, then our sons and our daughters will grow up raised by us, doing the best we can in our flesh. And you want your son to do well in school, and the first time he comes home with a bad report card, you and I had this unbelievable reaction to him. If you want your son to be a, a great baseball player, and he strikes out the last inning of the Little League playoff, you react. You know, the first time I came to China, I was with a guy, an elder in a church in North America, and his son had lost the state championship wrestling. And he and his son had not talked for three days because neither of them could express themselves one to another. But this father had so much of his identity tied to his son doing well that he was just frozen by this boy's loss. When this boy lost, he needed a father who could come and say, Son, that's great. That's okay. You did great. You did great. But this man's treasure was in his boy's victory, and when the boy wasn't victorious, he didn't react outwardly. He reacted by just clamming up. And our children need fathers who love them as Christ loved the church. They need fathers who get loved as a father's love. They need a father who, if they're prodigal, when they come back, the father doesn't say to them, I can't believe you went away. You read the story of the prodigal, he's, he's just there. He's there for, he's there to speak life. You know, my first year of college, I got kicked off the campus the first semester and got kicked out of the school at the end of the second semester. And when I went home, my father said, let's, let's see how we can get you back on the road. See how we can get you back on the road.
for the sake of our children, for the sake of our wives, fathers, we need to ask God to give us the grace to abide in him, that he will abide in us. Because what our wives need, what our children need, is his love, his joy, his peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his meekness, his self-control. They need nothing less than him, and none of us can supply that. Someone asked me a couple years ago, Rick, what was the greatest motivation for you to uh, learn to abide in Christ? And I'm still learning. But I I thought about it for a minute, and I said, well, I love my wife so much, I just didn't want Kathy living with my flesh. And I love my children so much, I don't want them living with my flesh. Great motivation. We got a little baby here. You know, this is family. And we all love each other. But you know what? We're in the flesh. We hurt each other, even though we love each other. Because when we're in the flesh, it's like two people who love each other but don't know how to swim. And you throw them out in a swim pool of deep water. What will they do to each other? They will drown each other. It's not because they don't love each other. It's just that that's what you do. You grab hold of that other person because you can't swim, and they grab hold of you, and you drown each other. And what we need to do by his grace, if even one of us can abide in him, it's like putting your hand on the side of the swimming pool. You get your hand on the side of the swimming pool, you can save your spouse, whether it be your husband or your wife, if one of us can just get hold of something that doesn't move. And Jesus says, in this world, everything moves, everything breaks, but me. So do not secure yourself in anything in this world where everything moves and everything breaks. For where your security is, there your heart will be also. Okay, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and do another, do another song for us. That's a heavy message, uh, but it's a message of, of hope. Um, he has come to set the captives free. As we abide in him, he will abide in us. Someone has said, Jesus said, I gave myself for you so I could give myself to you so I could live my life through you. And that's what he wants us to accept is his life abiding in us.